morning. That is, who likes to hear about the grace and generosity of God? Anyone? A few. Yeah. The psalmist declares in Psalm 145 that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite psalms. I love it. And scripture tells us over and over again that God is abundantly gracious. God is exceedingly generous. That is really good news, isn't it? Do you love to hear about the grace and generosity of God? What happens when the grace and generosity of God make us mad? It happens. What happens when God is abundantly gracious and generous to other people in a way that we think isn't fair? What do we do then? That's what today's parable is all about. It's about a very gracious and generous Lord, a Lord who has compassion over all that he has made. And it's about our responses to God's goodness. It's a parable about the anatomy of our hearts and what we find there. And sometimes we find pride. Pride that makes us think that somehow we deserve this, this Psalm 145 promise, but that others don't. That others don't deserve God's generosity and goodness. Now, before I read this parable, I want to give you a warning. Uh, In all my studying of this parable, almost all the Bible scholars and preachers say that this parable from Matthew 20 is one of the hardest parables for modern Americans to hear. It's because it runs completely counter to our American ideals of earning your way up the ladder, of our notions of equal pay for equal work. All these deeply ingrained mindsets, they affect not just our view of money and work, but our spiritual life as well. So one long-term pastor said that in the true story in his congregation, he has this very faithful woman in her 80s, She's served and worshipped at this church her entire life. She's given so much to this church. If the doors are open, she's there. You know, she's just one of those um, just steady pillars of the faith, right? But there's one exception. When this parable is being preached, she stays home. (laughs) No joke. This is the only time she misses church is when this parable is preached because it makes her so mad. So, just a warning for you, this is a hard parable, and it turns out that sometimes the grace and generosity of God can make us mad, especially for those who are considered to be pillars of the faith. So, with that warning in mind, hear now Jesus' words to us from Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. Before we read, let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good and generous toward us. We thank you for your words to us that encourage us and correct us. So we pray for your spirit to do work in our hearts today that we might worship you as you are, a good and generous Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The word of God from Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. 
When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, <clears throat> he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you here own your own businesses. Uh, many of you manage other workers. And I wonder who here is ready to go home and adopt this philosophy of pay for your workers. Anyone? Right? It's hard. It rubs against everything that we think to be fair and logical. It's, it runs against the ways we tend to operate in our context. And yet this is what Jesus says that God the Father is like. That God is like this landowner. That God is abundantly generous to all, whether we seem to deserve it or not. Now, before you all go home and quit your jobs and just expect God to pay you for sitting at home on the couch, let's talk about the context of this parable, because many people think that that's what it's intending to mean, but it's not. It's not. Jesus is not here encouraging laziness somehow or encouraging a mentality of entitlement. But Jesus is giving us a serious warning. It's a warning about the dangers of spiritual pride. It's a warning against thinking that somehow we earn God's goodness by what we do, or that we should be able to decide how God should act toward other people. It's a strong warning against pride that, if we're honest, lies within each one of our hearts. So to understand this, let's look at the context of this parable, because I think it'll really help us to understand what's going on here. So when Jesus tells this story, the people he's addressing are his closest disciples. He's addressing his very inner circle, the ones who have given up everything to follow Jesus. They are like that very faithful 80-year-old woman who have spent their their whole everything ever since they've been called by Jesus, they've given it all to him to follow him. In worldly terms, they've given up a lot. And Peter addresses this. He says, right before this parable, Peter says to Jesus, look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What then will we have? 
With this question, Peter, one of Jesus' very closest disciples, he reveals something about his heart. He reveals that he is proud and that he has some selfish ambition going on. Jesus, what's in it for me? Jesus, look what I've done for you. Look what I've given up, Jesus. Certainly I deserve a lot. What are you going to give me, Jesus? I deserve a lot. And at first, Jesus replies to Peter in a way that seems to fit this reward-driven, works-righteousness kind of mindset. Jesus goes on in verse 28 to say, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So according to this reply, it seems that Peter's thinking is in line, that Peter will get a great reward for his sacrifices. And as we heard in the sermon last week, this is consistent, actually, with many of Jesus' teachings. That when Jesus returns, he tells us there will be a judgment day, and we will be judged according to our deeds. What we do in this life does matter. It does matter. Jesus does seem to promise rewards to those who are faithful to him, who take discipleship seriously. That is there. Jesus teaches it. And yet, Jesus goes on to tell this parable right after this. It's kind of like whiplash. (laughs) What's going on, Jesus? He goes on to tell this parable to say that you are going to be in for a lot of surprises on Judgment Day. Because the kingdom of God, it works in a way that is not consistent with the way this world works. It's not going to play out just how you think it should, according to our limited human ways of thinking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord in Isaiah 55. And the kingdom of God, it's an upside-down kingdom. It runs completely counter to most of our ways of thinking. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, right next in verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There's going to be a lot of surprises when Jesus returns. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And that's when Jesus goes on to tell this parable about the laborers in the vineyard, a parable which ends with the same teaching. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The parable is bracketed by this by this teaching to explain how it is that this is going to happen. And this is how. This is how. This is what we learn in the parable. That the first become last because of pride. And the last become first through humility before God. The first become last because of pride. And the last become first through humility before God. So Jesus is warning Peter and all of us to come, be careful. Be careful in your discipleship. Be careful that you don't get too focused on yourself and what you think that you're earning from God. Beware of your pride. Most theologians throughout the centuries have noted that it is pride that lies at the heart of all sin. Pride, thinking too much of ourselves, too little of God, that is the quick road to becoming last in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is pretty serious about warning us against it. 
So to unpack this a little more, I'm going to give some context for Jesus' day and this parable, help us understand it a little bit more. It's really fascinating because we live in a different social economic context than they did then. So it's really fascinating to see what was going on here. So this is what's important to understand in Jesus' day. We need to understand the role of the day laborers, their, their situation in the culture. So in Jesus' time, day laborers were at the very bottom of the social heap. If there's any kind of a ladder going on, they are like below the bottom rung. So slaves are actually in a much higher position than day laborers because, you see, slaves had masters who were invested in them. A master would pay for his slave and thus wanted to keep him around for as much work as he could get out of him. So if a master had a slave who got sick or injured or something went wrong, the master would still feed him and still house him because you don't want him to die. You want to get the most work out of him you can. Day laborers, they have no one invested in them. They're considered completely disposable. You can treat them however you want. Day laborers simply had to fend for themselves. If you couldn't work a day for whatever reason, you don't eat that day. The usual daily wage mentioned in the parable was probably the denarius, which is um, just the typical wage you needed to survive for the day. It's not an exorbitant amount. It's just your daily wage. It was just enough to provide what you needed. So with this economic system in place, day laborers could never get ahead. One day's work equaled one day's survival. If you missed a day, you went hungry. There's no catching up. It was really difficult to save any money. You were simply at the mercy of the wealthy, just hoping someone would hire you. And in that day, social mobility was really difficult. That is, whatever social class you were born into, that's usually where you stayed. Jesus' dad was a carpenter. Jesus became a carpenter. If your dad was a king, you become a prince. If your dad's a day laborer, you will probably be a day laborer too, and your children after you and after you. The rich stay rich, the poor stay poor. That was the broken system that was around in Jesus' day. And at the bottom of that system were the day laborers. Now here's an important thing to keep in mind. Day laborers had families. Many of these men went home every night to a wife and children. A wife and children who were counting on his daily wage for their sustenance. So if a day laborer doesn't get his daily wage, his family doesn't get theirs either. They go hungry. So these day laborers and their families, they're extremely vulnerable. They're living day to day, never quite knowing if or what they're going to eat. And that's the context of our workers. So now notice that in the parable, when the landowner goes out and asks the laborers why they're standing idle all day for those who are still in the marketplace towards the end of the day, they respond, because no one has hired us. It's not that they didn't want to work. They, they need some food. They just haven't been hired. All day they've been waiting, waiting for someone to give them a chance. Many of us today, when we read this word idle, we jump to the conclusion that these laborers are lazy. We just automatically judge them. 
But as Bible scholar Dale Bruner points out, that's not the way the idol is intended here in the Greek. The, the idol, that does not mean laziness. That's, it's not meant to be a reproof against laziness. So think of these laborers like, like cars. We use that word idle, like if your car gets stuck in idle, you know? It wants to keep going. You want to keep driving forward. You want to do some good, meaningful work, but you're stuck, right? You're stuck in idle. You just, you just can't seem to go forward. If you've ever been in this situation, you know how frustrating and demoralizing it can be. Has anyone ever found themselves unemployed? You really need a job. Just can't seem to get a job. Or have you ever felt yourself stuck in a job that feels meaningless, purposeless? God made us to have meaning and purpose to contribute to society, but when we feel idle, we feel stuck, and it can feel so helpless and demoralizing. That's the situation of the day laborers who can't get hired. They're stuck and idle. And at the end of the day, if they haven't received their wage, imagine what faces them. Having to break the news to their families. I'm sorry, kids, but no food tonight. Over time, many of these day laborers would watch their vulnerable, sick kids die and perish just because they couldn't get hired. The system wasn't working in their favor. They just couldn't seem to get that daily wage. So that was the situation of day laborers in Jesus' day. Some got hired, some didn't. The ones who didn't were in a world of trouble. Now with that kind of context in mind, now let's go back and think about this parable. Let's think about the perspective of the landowner the landowner who decides to pay all the workers the daily wage, even the ones hired at the end, consider his perspective. He knows the situation of these vulnerable day laborers. He knows the families at home in need, and he has the resources to meet those needs. So he does. He decides to care for everyone, ensuring that all the workers have enough food for the day. He is good. He's like the Lord described in Psalm 145, who has compassion over all that he has made. The landowner isn't greedy and exacting and self-focused. He's gracious and merciful. He has compassion for all of them. His desire is that none should perish, no matter how much or how little they had done for him. He desires that none should perish, no matter how much or how little they had done for him. Now consider the perspective of those who were hired later in the day, especially those hired last. Can you imagine the feelings of relief that you would feel in that last hour, right? Here they are all day anxious about, are we going to get our daily needs met? Wondering how they're going to break the news to their kids. And then suddenly... Out of nowhere, they have the daily wage. They can go to the market, buy their food. They can bring supper home. Can you imagine the joy that they would feel? Oh my goodness, there would be so much delight, so much gratitude. 
And these later workers, they would be in a place of humility. There would be a clear understanding that this was a gift. It was a grace. It was a gift from a good and generous person. And the joy that they would feel because of that grace. They'd be going home in joy and delight and gratitude. But then look at how the early workers hired respond. These workers go home at the end of the day angry and bitter and envious, grumbling against the landowner. There's no joy, no gratitude. Anger and bitterness rules their hearts. And yet what these early workers have missed is that they have been recipients of the landowner's grace and generosity all day long. It was only by his grace that they were hired in the first place. It was only by his generosity that they were given the privilege of having meaningful work to do, of having assurance that at the end of the day they were going to be okay. It's only by his grace and generosity that they've had the day that they had had at all. And yet these early workers, they get so self-focused and prideful and entitled And they have no compassion on the situation of the other laborers. Those who would have had to go home hungry. Those who would have been anxious and worried all day long. These first workers are much like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, if anyone is familiar with that parable. Is anyone familiar with that one? Prodigal son, it's a pretty famous one. So there's this elder brother who becomes furious at his father, for being gracious and generosity towards his younger brother, who was, went off and was rebellious for a while. And the elder son, he had become completely focused on himself, thinking that he had earned everything he had, when in fact his whole life was a gift of grace from his father. But his pride had blinded him. His pride had led him to be bitter and angry, and because of that, he misses out on the joy and celebration of his younger brother's return and of his father's goodness to them both. Folks, that's what pride does to us. Do you want to check how you're doing with pride? Check your levels of bitterness and anger and envy. Because pride makes us all of those things. But humility, true humility before God, That is going to result in joy and gratitude and delight. You want to check your humility? Check how you're doing in joy and gratitude and delight. This, Jesus says, is how the first become last and the last become first. It is those who think they should be first, who are prideful and self-focused, those who think they've earned it all on their own. It is those who miss out on the joy and delight of the kingdom of God. But it is those who appear to be last, those who don't think they've earned their way, who others think haven't earned their way. It's those who realize that all they have is just a gift. It is they who become first in the kingdom of God. The first become last because of pride, and the last become first through humility before God. So as we close, I want to just lead us on a a practical 
level way of thinking of how this might play out in our day-to-day lives. Just give us some examples of, of how we might live this out. So first of all, to live out this parable in the wisdom that it teaches us means just first acknowledging that all of life is a gift of God. Means being truly grateful for God's abundant generosity toward us every day. For those who have had the gift of serving Jesus for a long time, like the early disciple Peter, like that faithful 80-year-old woman in the congregation that I mentioned before, it means recognizing the gift that it is to have been hired by God at such an early hour. The gift that it is to live each day with meaning and purpose in God's kingdom. The gift that it is to have lived each day with comfort and assurance of God's promise of eternal life. Not to be anxious about what awaits you after death. Do we recognize what a gift this is that others haven't had? And it means being compassionate and gracious toward those who are hired later. In the perspective of eternity, it means celebrating that the person who has lived their whole life in rebellion to God, doing whatever they want, and then on their deathbed, accepts Christ, they are promised the same intimacy with God as those who have given up everything in a worldly perspective to follow Christ. Those hired later are promised the same reward as those hired earlier. You don't earn your way into intimacy with God and eternal life. So it means not being angry or envious about that, but rather celebrating that, that God is generous and desires that none should perish no matter when they enter into service to Christ, whether in childhood or ripe old age. It's celebrating that fact. And then for present situations, It means living humbly before God, laying aside any feelings of entitlement we may feel regarding what we think we deserve because of what we've given up for Christ. Remember when Peter revealed his pride and selfish ambition by asking, look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And if we're honest, this question can lurk in our hearts too. We can be tempted to think, look God at how much I've given you how much money I've given to church or charitable organizations, how much time I've put in serving, how much I've given of my talents. Therefore, Jesus, I think I deserve X, Y, Z. I deserve this position of power in the church or community. I deserve this reputation. I deserve things to go as I want them to go according to my wishes. I deserve financial success, a pain-free life, or a long life at all. We just had a colleague, 35 years old, had, she and her husband were in ministry, committed their whole lives to ministry, and just died unexpectedly of cancer. Just four-month diagnosis, and people asked, how? You know, she gave her whole life to following Christ. And that's a question of entitlement. She wasn't guaranteed a long life. None of us are. We're not entitled to anything. Whenever we think we deserve something from God, that is spiritual pride. It's a very dangerous place to be. This parable, finally, it it warns us to be careful about pride 
in day-to-day -day social and economic situations. Because Jesus says that our spiritual state before God, it's always going to impact how we live our day-to-day -day lives with others. Love God, love others. They are always interconnected. So if the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who's compassionate and generous, who desires that none should be in need, that none should go hungry, that no children should starve because their parents can't get hired, then shouldn't we strive to have the same be true in our world? I do not claim to have answers about how to go about making this happen. I am not an economist or have all of that wisdom, but I do know that Jesus in Scripture is constantly telling us, first and foremost, to check our hearts. That's where we start. Check your heart to see if it's full of pride or humility in your relation with others. So that makes us wonder, do we have compassion for people like the later hired laborers who are in these vulnerable positions, wondering if and when how they're going to get their daily wage to make it another day. Because there's a lot of people in those positions in our country and around the world. Do we feel prideful about our own positions in life? Can we tend to think we've earned our way to where we are ourselves? Because our culture certainly wants us to think so. And if we think that way, we can tend to neglect God's grace and generosity that has been shown to us through things like our parents and coaches, and mentors, and skills we've been given, and jobs we've been given, through access to food, and water, and education, and medical care. These are all gifts of God to us. And the truth is, many of us here have been hired at very early hours. That is, many of us in this room have been given lots, and lots, and lots of opportunities that others haven't. So it's important to have a right perspective on this, a godly perspective, to see God's grace and generosity at work in our lives, to give thanks to God, rather than being arrogant or judgmental towards others who haven't been given the same opportunities. Martin Luther once said, God cannot stand it that we boast of anything other than his grace. God cannot stand it that we boast of anything other than his grace. So friends, let us not boast of anything we think we deserve or have earned because all of life is a gift from God who is abundantly generous. So let us celebrate the truth of this psalm that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and the Lord is good to all. His compassion is over all that he has made. Let us pray. God, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are gracious and generous beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Help us to have your perspective on all of life, to be full of joy and gratitude for who you are and all that you have done for us and all that you do for the world. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.